0: Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza and on this episode, I sit down with Alexander Kravich to talk about his life story. I think we're very fortunate to be living in Canada and Alexander is someone who was born in Bosnia and his family came here when he was really young. I believe he says it's around two, when he was two years old and just hearing his perspective on life, going to school at Western, building a life in Canada and how he can relate that to what his parents went through when they came here to Canada is fascinating to me. I love these kinds of insights. I feel although Canada, we can make this country maybe a lot better than it is. And sometimes it's frustrating to see how easy it may be to improve some things in this country relative to a lot of parts of the world. This is a beautiful place to be living. So sometimes I think I need to check myself and keep that in perspective. I see the obvious sometimes and want to, you know, kind of scream from the top of the hills on how easy it is to, to make things better. But it's, it's obviously, um, something we can't take for granted on how great we do have it in this country so i wanted to sit down with alexander here's a young guy who went to school here and map out his thoughts of life you know, reflect on his own family's journey here in Canada. And that's what we talk about on this particular episode. You could find him on Instagram. If you're in the London area and you need a physiotherapist, you can track him down. He shares all his different contact uh, t- contact methods uh, at the end of this episode. So listen for that at the end. And if you are listening to this and you're trying to make sense of the real estate investing game, just the way Alex has been discussing on this particular episode, you can get some of our information, whether it's videos or books or reports. reports, all at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. You can find links to this this podcast and different episodes of this podcast, videos that we share, free reports that we put out, all the free digital copies of our books that we share, all available to you there. You can sign up for our weekly email that goes out to thousands of Canadians right across the country. You can get access to that there. So that's all available to you at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it with the intro. Let's get on with the show are you ready to live life on your terms is it time to take charge real estate business building the economy health and nutrition and more it's the your
1: life your term show with tom and nick karadza are you ready let's go
0: okay we are live with alexander kravich am i saying it right Kravic how do you say your last name Kravic Kravic you sounded so deep, deep, deeper deeper voice than me <laughs> Kravic um, and the reason I, I forget you got one of our emails and you responded to our email with like almost like a big story about you know some of your background and your life and that whole bit is that how we met
1: that's yeah. how we met
0: yeah okay. basically yeah um, and I'm gonna ask you about that but I just you asked me a question because your first name is you know I it's Al, you go by Alex and the full, full first name is Alexander. And you asked about Nick's name, Alexander, but Nick's first name is a different spelling than your name because his Alexander is I'm I'm assuming the Scottish or British version, because our mother is Scottish. My first name is actually Tomislav. And I think our, my mom thought, oh my gosh, you know, I have to balance this out a little bit. My full name is Tomislav Mio Karaja. And then, uh, so he got Nicholas Alexander the British side. So that's kind of our names are different. So uh, his is different than, than your spelling. But um, I, I want to learn more just about your story. So and I, I think I want to kind of just start at the beginning. So we'll get into some of your thoughts on real estate and the whole world of interest rates. And how old are you? 29. You're 29. I'd like to get your viewpoints on the world right now. But Take me from the beginning, how do you go, is it two and a half years old, you arrive in Canada? Yep. Okay. Can you just like explain to everyone where you were born a little bit about your parents and and background? I just want to paint this picture a little bit. Sure.
1: Yeah. So, um, my name is Alex. First of all, pleasure to be on the show and super grateful and thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, I came to Canada, to London when I was two and a half years old from Nevesenia, which is about 40 kilometers east. Of Mostar and about two hours south, I believe, of Sarajevo, which is the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina, which at that time was former Yugoslavia. So yeah, we just came uh, to Canada because of what was going on out over there with the civil war with uh, in the nineties. That obviously was pretty traumatic and you know devastating to a lot of families.
0: What were your parents doing there? For did they run? Like I, our family there was like. I would guess I would call them in the Canadian version, would be like farmers, like learning l- living in a village, raising animals, and kind of living off the land in those animals. Uh, our father was born in the bush, close to, not too far from where you were. Um, what was your family doing? They were both high
1: school teachers, actually. And so was my uncle. And they were, yeah, they were teaching all the way up until the war and, and when it started. So um, we do have a farm in a smaller area just outside of uh, Nevesenia called Tertina, So just like just a village where we had uh, basically, I guess you would say a farm, like just a mm-hmm, home in the mm-hmm. middle of uh, nowhere. Like not a lot of neighbors. I've seen those homes. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's really in the middle school. of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. No, no, uh, sand, like uh, you can't go to the ba- bath. Like you got to go to the bathroom. You go somewhere where there's no toilets, you know, you just,
0: I remember <laughs> when, when, when I was there and our, you know, our family house there had no, no toilets. It didn't even have running water. There was a well, there are only three walls to our house there. And one of my friends from Canada that came to, came with me much later when we were in university and we were t- touring through Europe, he's like, you realize your house here only has three walls. I'm like, well, I never really thought about it. He goes, it's, it's built into the side of what I can tell it looks like a rock hill. And then there's like two other walls and a third wall. But the front of the house is wide open. So if it rains or snows, like anything will just come right into the house. And you walk in this center area and then there's just like breakout bedrooms and the kitchen. But even to get in the kitchen, the first room of the kitchen is actually the smokehouse where my, my grandmother would on the floor bake bread. And there'd be a big chain coming from the ceiling and she would just have a pot of water that was like constantly boiling with something going on in this water. And then if you looked up in the roof, it was all black from all the fire, but there were also meat being smoked up there. And then you would walk into the second room and it's more like a normal kitchen, but the stove was a wood burning stove, you know, so they were burning wood uh, in the morning to maybe cook some eggs or something like that. I just remember big pots of milk, like just raw milk sitting right on top of that stove. I guess, I think, I guess they were boiling it or something before they gave it to us. I don't even remember. But they're, they're like, when you talk about a house in the middle of nowhere, for people who don't understand, it's really in the middle of nowhere, you know, and to go to the washroom, there would just be toilet paper um, by the door and you would just like walk outside and you would just find a spot. And when I was small, when I came to visit, my aunt found some rock that she kind of carved out into like a, like a like a, like a, almost like a toilet, but I didn't have running water. And I, this is really embarrassing to share, but now we're really deep into this. So I will. And I guess I would just use that toilet to like, you know, go number two. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess she would clean it out. Cause I think next time I would use it, it'd be all clean. But, uh, I know that's disgusting for everyone listening, but as that I got older, you just went out into the bush. Like you literally just went out into the bush, did your business and came back. And, uh, that was just normal. Um, and it's like, it seems shockingly kind of, I mean, if you're not used to it, I guess it's just shocking to see it. Um, and I, I remember bringing some, having that friend there in the early nineties and explaining to him that when we on school, when we went on school trips here in the Toronto area to, to pioneer village, which is by York university, they would explain to us in grade school um, that this is how people back a hundred years ago used to live. But in the Pioneer Village by York University, they had like a pump for water, they had an outhouse. It was more advanced than my family's village and I think it was the first time I realized that like, wow, we're probably a very poor family. Like we come from nothing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like really nothing, you know? So when you see these places in that part of the world, you're just in the middle of nowhere. I think it breeds toughness though, Alex. But uh, sorry, I took us off track. So yeah, you went to the washroom outside somewhere. I apologize, everyone. This is part of my childhood, and you're 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 making me remember all this stuff. Um, your parents are high school teachers. You're two and a half years old. Brothers or sisters?
1: Yes, uh, one older brother, three years older.
0: Three years older, and then they just pack up. Are, are do you remember what? Did they tell you anything like how did they get out of the country at that time? Do you remember?
1: No, honestly, I don't know what happened around that time. I try not
0: to to bring up
1: some of those uh, discussions. I mean, maybe I can now, just now that I'm older, but definitely it was.
0: You should, uh, because that's part of your family's history. You want to know these details. But okay, you come to Canada, and then they're high school teachers. Can they work as high school teachers here?
1: No. No, it was just I think my mom had to do additional schooling because my mom finished an undergrad in engineering and I think my dad did an undergrad in history and when they came here it was just yeah nothing transferred over my mom was taking courses at Fanshawe College just uh, with regards to some software engineer um, stuff but my dad just got a job at Nestle. Um, they're English, they could speak English, okay? A little bit. Yeah, they Jeez. can speak a little bit, okay. but definitely not not to the extent that you would require. So I remember mm-hmm. my dad would tell me stories when we came here. Because we came here because my uncle came first, like a year before. So he kinda helped us kind of find our oh. way. So at least we had someone, but that was And that's why it. you were in London? Yeah, that's okay. why we were in London, because he was in yeah. London earlier. Um so he helped kind of sort that out. But um yeah, mm-hmm. we got here in Canada and just struggling <laughs> to make ends meet. Like my dad would deliver newspapers at like three in the morning when I was minus 40 out and just to make like a couple hundred bucks a month on top of working at Nestle. And he would bike to Nestle, like the ice cream uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, factory from one side of the city to the other. And he, he told me a story. I was literally biking on the highway, like when I was minus 30 and just, yeah, cause we had no car at the beginning like just yeah, no money, no car, like no English, no, none of the skills transferred. So, you would just see that growing up, um, just how much they struggled and how much they grinded to get to where they are now. Uh, and did it you think
0: they were struggling then, or only upon reflection did you think they were struggling? Oh, they're definitely
1: struggling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were living like we moved around to a bunch of places. I remember the first place we were in, we um, we there were cockroaches <laughs> in the house, and I remember going for allergy testing like a, several years later, and I had a, a reaction to cockroaches. But usually, with allergy testing, the only way that you can um, test for something as if you've had exposure to it and that would have explained it from then so yeah we weren't living in the best conditions yeah just renting places going from place to place and um, yeah having barely much to to survive on top of you know just covering the basics like basic food and food and water did your
0: dad continue working at nestle uh for many years
1: yeah he's actually still there so he's been there for 27 years
0: Wow, and then your mom—you said she was taking some classes. Kudos to her! Like to come to Canada and then try taking classes. And English isn't your first language. Um, w- w- did, was your mom working? Did she find something to work as well uh, to do for work as well?
1: Uh, she ended up finding work as an uh, assignment coordinator at a just like a interpretation company in okay. London that just helps uh, actually people like her that have come from other countries assign you know uh, interpreters to help manage you know appointments or medical stuff and she was she first worked as an interpreter for other people who came from Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia um, to just translate and then she became like one of the coordinators with regards to that but nothing really in relation to what she finished school with and being a teacher and or also in the engineering field it was kind of yeah, just something to find. Because
0: Do you think they were, like, so, sorry, I, I don't know, you know, I know you don't know, you don't can't speak directly for them, but I guess they were still happy they were in Canada? Or were they just regretting being here? Like, what's the mindset like?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question, um, I think. What year is this? this is it the 90s? This is 95, yeah. when we oh, came, okay. April 95. Um, I mean it's tough because they obviously were thinking in the past in terms of how nice it used to be before Mm -hmm. the war started, how everyone got along. Like it didn't matter where you were from or what your religion was. It was all just, you know, just, if you're a good person, you're a good person. But then with the war, um, you know, you always have flashbacks to before the war and how nice it was. So all the family was back in, uh, Serbia or in Bosnia. Uh, I think we might've had some in Croatia, but, um, everybody was back home so it's hard when you know their parents and um, their parents uncles or brothers uncles aunts all that are over there and then only my mom's uh, my uncle my mom's younger brother was here in Canada so it's hard because you're you know everyone's over there you're here you don't know fortunately London did have uh, a small like Serbian community or just like yeah, Balkan community. Okay. Yeah, so we were able to get like when we were renting a place. After a few, we had that small community, which helped because obviously sure. people are coming under similar circumstances, so they know um, what what to expect, and you have people to talk to and kind of go mm-hmm. through the process of trying to assimilate into a different country. So that helped, but I mean, definitely, it's not the same as how it was mm-hmm. for them back there before the war. But I mean, they had to do what they had to do in that time period but I think it was that decision do we leave and try to provide a better future for our kids or, or do we stay and you know some of the family chose to stay and, and and they made that
0: jump so it's just crazy to think about that like I I talked to some you know about this with friends and stuff and that was just the 90s like I, I guess that can sound like a a, a lifetime ago but that area went through a vicious war. Like there was people who were friends for years, family, friends for years that when the war started mortal enemies immediately, like it just went bad, like a really bad, like a vicious, um, just thinking about some of the stuff from that era that I would see when you would get news updates and stuff like it was just bad and, uh, how times can change so quickly. And then that area had a currency meltdown. Like there was a hyperinflation episode through there. Um, it's, it's just crazy to think about like growing up here and you grew up here. When you think about what people were going through there, it just to me shows you how resilient people are because there's so many people just like made it through all that shit. Mm-hmm. And somehow I, if I feel like it's a miracle <laughs> living through hyperinflation and war and coming out the other end of it, you know, leaving where you grew up to different areas, you came all the way to Canada. I'm sure some people just moved around kind of more locally there. Um, but you got the benefit I, I, of kind of growing up in peaceful Canada. So you grew up and you went to school in London and you were here at two and a half. So for you, it was like you were kind of growing up, you know, Canadian. Like it was like a nice kind of upbringing for you, I'd imagine, in London. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the parents then, what was their communication to you just to go to school and then go to university where you pushed to go to university? That's usually from that area of the world. That, that type of European mentality is usually like you must go to university.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I actually wasn't pushed at all. Like they never really told me, you know, you should be studying, go do your homework. I kind of just would do it because, again, just based on seeing them growing up, and you know, you're a kid, you're moving to Canada, you don't really remember much, but I'm sure a lot of that or subconsciously stuck with me in terms of just the the I guess minimalist mindset or just trying to create something out of nothing that you would just feel that they went through and yeah nobody really pushed me to to study or to do my I just did it because I knew like I wanted to make them proud because of everything that they did for us I felt like I like I had to there's no other way to like I couldn't just be lazy when you know they tell us the stories you know what I mean so yeah definitely no pushing they were just always there for me if I needed help with homework like my mom would always help me dad's working mom's helping a lot like around the house and yeah definitely had a good up bringing in terms of like relatively speaking but a lot of things that you i heard just going to school it's just so different in terms of you know, oh i gotta go see my grandma this weekend or something I'm like at least your grandma is like nearby whereas i see them once every five or six years and you know flights are expensive at that time and you don't have a lot of money to see so just like things that i felt like a lot of my classmates would take for granted i was just yearning for or uh, or even like christmas presents we didn't get christmas presents or we got like very minimal stuff there's no money for christmas presents so just like seeing things like oh i only got you know this gift or that gift and we're like and you're still a kid you still want to try to compare what you got relative to other friends but you're like almost like i remember i'd lie just be like yeah like they just gave me money and stuff and meanwhile i had i probably got like a little toy or you know what i mean but
0: that's just how how it was yeah i remember going so i'm you know obviously much older than you and i remember going there in the 80s and landing and in our luggage, first of all, I don't know why it took us so long to get wheels on luggage because back then we had like leather suitcases that we had to lug around. But I remember going there and we would bring Levi jeans. I remember specifically Levi jeans, Duracell batteries, and aspirin. Like, you know, we would just load up on aspirin, load up on Duracell batteries because out in the village there, they had no light at night so you know they had flashlights but it wasn't it was too expensive to get batteries i guess so we'd get these batteries and then jeans they always wanted levi's jeans and it was like it kind of just felt felt like what you would see in the movies you know like you're just bringing the stuff in the stores there had no product on the shelves so coming from canada seeing the grocery stores here with like honeycomb cereal and birthday cakes and stuff. And then I'd go to the stores there in the 80s and look at the shelves. And there was nothing there. Like the chocolate on the shelves was all from one company called Kras. That was the, the company. And it just, that was it. Like there was a few varieties, maybe two or three varieties. There wasn't even really cookies. There was just, I think they were called Napolitanque, like little wafer cookies. And that was like the only type of cookie. And it was just like going into another universe going over there. Um, so anyway, you go to school here. And then you go, you go to university, walk me through, how do you get to the point from going through university to getting interested in, like we've crossed paths because you got interested in real estate in some, some way. What happens? You go to high school and then you end up at Western. Yeah. yeah so yeah, what, Western. yeah. What'd you do at Western? How did that go? What are you doing now?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Western went for kinesiology for four years, um, Played pretty high competitive basketball uh, when we I was in high that. school. We should have said that
0: you're six five. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me.
1: <laughs> when I was in high school, yeah, I had some offers, but I actually had a lot of injuries when I was in my last year. So it, my last season of high school just didn't kind of pan out the way I wanted. So I just went to Western just because it was in London. Like I didn't really plan on going to Western. I wanted to go you know, somewhere away from the city, but I always wanted to go somewhere away from the city if it was on a basketball scholarship either in the States or somewhere in in Canada. Oh wow! So um, yeah. So unfortunately, that didn't work out. But it also forced me to kind of just uh, grind grind at school. Um, just realizing you're just so used to when you're in high school. Like if you're if you played any sports, like that was my identity. So trying to find an identity in university where I would just go to school was was very difficult at first. Um, but I became a personal trainer when I was I think in second year. I worked at the rec, at the rec center, just kind of in the weight room and then that got me motivated into personal training and then just using exercise in my kinesiology background to try to motivate people, help people uh, get stronger, you know, teach them exercise, exercise prescription that motivated me to become a personal trainer. I was able to meet a lot of people and that kind of became my identity. So I would associate with like the rec center staff. So I would, you know, know a lot of people through there because, you know, when you're coming from a different city, it's easier to, to meet new people. Like I would just hang out with people from London, but just through your residencies if you're uh, from out of town. But for me, it was the rec center staff that I got to know well. And then that got me into personal training. And then just, yeah, looking at physiotherapy, I eventually went into physio. Um, So that was a two-year master's program after the four years in kinesiology. And that was just kind of a way where it's personal. There's a component of personal training, but it's also, you know, in the medical field. So I, you know, I have to do more schooling with regards to it, but it's more the scientific side of it I mean personal training obviously incorporates that but it was just something that I felt like I could progress more into versus just kind of being a personal trainer not that there's nothing wrong with being a personal trainer but I felt that that experience as a personal trainer catapulted me to consider a career just the one-on-one working with people Um, I was looking at being a going into medicine like becoming a doctor as well but I had some, just some pretty bad experiences with family physicians, nothing against family physicians, um, or just, I like the way
0: the, you covered yourself there. Yeah. Nothing against family, <laughs> physicians love against but family bad physicians. experiences, but
1: just like the walk in clinics. I didn't like the fact that you only spent a few minutes with oh, so people. rough. So I liked physio because you can spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes getting to know people and just knowing what I know now, I think that's mm-hmm. very important in somebody's recovery and rehab. Um, so I, and I didn't want to do the MCAT. And I hated chemistry in the first year that I took. But um, that kind of swayed me away from the the doc, doctor medical field and going to physio. And yeah, did two years um, physiotherapy at Western as well. So hashtag bleed purple. Uh, <laughs> been there for a while. And still personal training kind of on the side while going to physio school. And then... Uh, yeah, I've been working f- as a physiotherapist for the last four years, um, full time at the hospital, and uh, I just started my own clinic about a
0: year ago. So how does it work as a physiotherapist at the hospital? If somebody is in there, uh, the, the, the doctors that are doing surgery will refer locally into the hospital to a physiotherapist or something?
1: So there's inpatient physiotherapy and outpatient. So inpatient is the people who have to stay overnight because they can't just go home the next day. Oh, got it. Yeah. Because of the severity of their injury or the surgery or just their age and all these other factors. So I work as a physiotherapist in the inpatient unit, inpatient orthopedics and trauma. Um, So people who have come in from usually hip fractures, but it can be leg fractures, it can be ankle fractures, it can be motor vehicle accidents where there is multiple fractures, not just... uh, in your leg, but you know both legs, both arms, things like that. So it's a lot holy of holy shit, dude. Yeah, it's a lot of basic mobility, like things okay. that we take for granted, like yes. being able to teach them how to use crutches, walkers, how to um, teaching them about the surgery, teaching them about getting in and out of bed, doing stairs, like just kind of more basic stuff. But because there are so you m-
0: see people at a rough time in their life for sure.
1: Yeah, we see a lot of um, yeah a lot of people in very rough stages in their lives, but also a lot of violence like people who have you know been shot been stabbed um people Holy smokes. you know a lot of homeless people who are just you know not able to maintain kind of some of the therapies or care outside of the community so then they come back because their leg gets infected or just stuff like that. and then you have to figure out a lot of discharge planning because when you work in a hospital it's all about Getting out of the hospital. Out of the hospital. If, <laughs> if you're, if you're in, yeah. a, in an acute care hospital, yeah, yeah, which is, is where I am. There's rehab hospitals as well, but the acute care hospital that I'm in, um, we have to free up the beds. So we have to try to get people out as safely and as quickly as possible. So if they can't go home because their home is un- inaccessible um, and they're you know they're living alone already and now they can't put any weight in their leg, how are they going to function? just at home if they have no family or friends to support. So we have to figure out alternatives,
0: you know. And you see a lot of people like that? Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. You
1: don't realize, like, how the system, how it works, like, in terms of if somebody gets injured and, let's say, they break their ankle, they can't put any weight through their ankle. So now they got to hop. It's easy for us to be able to hop because we have crutches, we have good upper body strength. But what about somebody who is barely able to walk even before this? Now this is going to set them back much further. So... If they can't move and they run all these complications of lying down in bed, like pneumonias, blood clots, and pressure sores, then where do they go, right? So we have to try to, you know, get them stronger, get them moving so that they can show progress. Maybe they go, we apply for a rehab um, bed at a rehab hospital, or we apply to maybe a retirement home, or if they can't, if they're not making any progress, any improvements, they're just getting worse then possibly long-term care, because... Again, where else are they going to go if they can't?
0: So we have something called rehab hospitals in this province. Yeah. And those are hospitals that just take people overnight while they're trying to rehab to a state that they can go home.
1: Yes. Yeah. If they're from the city, then you can, and if they're not quite yet ready for home, then the rehab hospital is like that bridge that gives them some more time to continue to try to build up their strength, their mobility, being able to be independent with different um, activities, just that they would do in the day so that when they're ready, then they become discharged from that hospital to home. Wow.
0: Is there something you see from people as they age that maybe as they're getting into their fifties, sixties, seventies, that they should keep in mind to make sure they're, you know, have good mobility? Is it, is it just constant movement? Like I I'm assuming you see people in their sixties get injured and they're already not very mobile. So is it just, we all need to keep moving as we age?
1: Yeah. Moving plays definitely a big role. Strength training, you know, things that you do in the gym or even there's classes for seniors or elderly.
0: So, so trying to maintain some muscle mass on the bones. For sure. Because
1: that would be the difference between, there's a lot of falls. We see a lot of falls, especially in the older people coming from, you know, retirement homes, long term care. But even it can be somebody you're you're walking your dog. I've seen so many people break their leg or their ankle or their hip.
0: So you think more muscle mass on you just prevents the break? It can
1: it can help if I mean a lot of what you do like from an osteoporosis perspective or a bone strength perspective yeah. is what you do in your early years. I mean, you can't necessarily prevent that from happening in the foot. So you haven't worked out your whole life and you just start a few weeks before you fall. But at the same time, by you working on, you know, a lot of strength exercise, load-bearing exercise for your bones, that can at least help to try to preserve some of the, the bone mineral density. Don't you get that. people
0: fighting back who say, hey, I'm already a certain age. I'm already late 30s, 40s. I'm not going to start doing strength training now. But what I'm hearing is that strength training or lifting weights just helps the bones maintain density.
1: Yes, or it, or it also decreases the rate at which you lose that bone mass and that bone mineral. Okay, because I mean, you're gonna yeah, lo- you have. you're gonna yeah you're gonna lose it. Just you can work out your whole life, but you're obviously gonna lose a certain percentage. It's just how fast is that loss gonna happen?
0: I've decided I have a lot of bone. Alex, I know, I, I, I just know that, I don't know, See, I'm just, I just have thick bones. I, I was at some biohacking conference once and they made me lie down on some bed where they measure your bone density. Yeah. And the girl taking it was like, holy shit. The machine was probably like not configured properly, but she's like, you're in like the 99th percentile on bone density that we have data on in this particular machine so far. And it just made me feel good. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I have, oh. I have dense bones. Who knows if it's accurate? I have no idea. Yeah, she yeah. probably do it again. But um, um, bone density. And is there an easy work on, like, is it, is it just like simple deadlifts people should do? Like, is there something you recommend to people or just like, what would be a strength exercise that people should do but that don't do?
1: That's, a, yeah, that's a good question. I would say
0: w- compound lifts are probably one of the, so like a examples. deadlift, yeah, off deadlift
1: squats, but upper body stuff too, right? Pushups, things where you're generating force into the ground, that's reverberating, I guess, force back okay. to you. Okay. So, not to say that swimming or cycling or things aren't bad for you because obviously they're good for your heart, mm-hmm. good to get your heart pumping, but you want to try to do exercises that are weight-bearing from a bone um, mineral density perspective, walking, running, strength training, because when you're lifting weights, it doesn't even have to be weights. It can be a resistance band. That that force that you're applying to the bone, so the muscle connects to the bone via the tendon, um, that pull is helping to to helping with the bone strength so you have to do exercises that are
0: strengthening exercises so my wife who's 50 who had that ski accident we were actually talking about it and she broke the i forget what it was the top of her bone of her leg like it connects to her knee something plateau
1: tibial plateau yeah and
0: you and i think you were explaining that that's a pretty sensitive place to break right yes so i have a couple questions on on her strength training going forward but why is that so it, it would depend on
1: if it was the medial or the lateral tibial plateau, like the inside or the outside part okay. of the shin bone that was broken. But basically the inside bears about 60% of your body weight because
0: the bulk, I think it must have been inside because that's yeah. what she was told. Sure. That it was bearing the majority of her body weight.
1: Yeah. So because it bears the majority of the body weight and because the fracture happened at the top of the shin bone, well, that's basically your knee joint. So it's almost like she didn't break her knee, but that when you break that aspect, because there's a lot of cartilage and a lot of structures around that area that take a lot of the the load, then that recovery time is going to be a lot longer than somebody who just maybe breaks the middle of the shin bone. Um, so that recovery can take yeah up to a it took year. Her, yeah. It took
0: her a while. She's moving now. So she broke that show. Snowboarder blindsided her, took her out. She broke that. Um, she's been moving fairly decent since about April, May, And now it looks like you know what? Were you September? So we're nine months later, pretty much. And she's pretty good, Um, but I can see how they were. She was told she was doing really well, and you know, kind of ahead of schedule on stuff. But I can see how that injury can take a long time. It was rough. And I tell everyone it was rough, not only on her, but I had to do a lot of shit. I had to do the laundry, Alex, and I hadn't done the laundry. <laughs> I'm just joking. I would gladly help out, but I was starting to do things that I hadn't done in a long time. I was like, holy smokes, I really miss you, Carol. We need to get you rehab. Let me help with this rehab. Yeah. But uh, Okay, so you rehab that part because it's, it's, it's bearing a lot of weight. And there's nothing really to do other than wait for the bone to heal, no? So
1: this is the, I guess this is the difference between your wife, Carol, 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 your wife's recovery, you know, you saying she was going back to doing things in April, whereas somebody else can have that same injury, even maybe around that same age. And that recovery would be much longer, right? Or even could be much shorter. Just all the other factors you have to be mindful of when you're looking at recovery and everyone's normal and recovery is different, right? Like her normal might be to be able to return to yoga or be able to run 10k where someone else's is is just to walk normally right so you have to be mindful i'm just saying this beforehand but you just have to be mindful of all these other factors that play a role and if carol was active or you know doing a lot of Mm -hmm. things before maintaining you know eating healthy exercising consistently then that's going to put her in the advantage for her recovery so even though the bone is healing it's going to heal quicker relatively than somebody else who has these other comorbidities, diabetes, okay. smoking, those mm-hmm. kinds of things can slow, t- uh, o- obesity can slow down people's recovery. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just important to delineate that and how those kinds of things can play a role. Cause if you ever go to the doctor's office or even a surgeon, or if you're having surgery, like an elective surgery, like if you want to get a hip replaced or knee replaced, they're going to always ask about, you know, smoking history. They're going to ask about diabetes because If you're smoking, you're constricting your blood vessels and you need blood flow in order to promote tissue healing, right? Whether that be bone, whether that be tendon, ligament, meniscus. Um, So if you don't, if if you're smoking, then that's going to, that could possibly prolong your recovery. And then if you're not getting that blood flow, that could increase the risk of some other complications like an infection because you're not getting that, that
0: blood flow. Geez, I really never connected all these dots. Like I've kind of known all these things and it sounds so obvious when you say it, but I'm really thought it through like that. So then what can she do now to continue to strengthen her her bones? So, you know, uh, just turned 49. Maybe I, I shouldn't be sharing that. I'm not supposed to find out. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's too late now. And uh, what, what, what can she do? Is it, is it some of the strength, you know, some of the stuff that you just mentioned?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So strength training, I mean, it's all, it would depend on just what stage she's at, but I, I don't know, like I'm a big basketball guy. So mm-hmm. the whole thing with Kawhi Leonard, when he played for the Raptors, mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole topic on the load management stuff. So I think that's been a big kind of bug. Why? why? Why do you say that? Just load management is basically, you have to be mindful of what your body can tolerate at any given time. So, you know, she probably would have been in a period where she wasn't putting any, putting any weight, on that leg for usually the first six weeks. It was a so, while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For the first, cause that's how long generally it'll take the physiological healing to take place. And then afterwards you wouldn't get her. Okay. I haven't put weight on it for six weeks. Let's start running. Right. You have to gradually progress it. And with rehab, it's the same. It, it, that's the principle. If you get someone doing a lot of even injuries, how they happen is people will do something too soon. You know, maybe you haven't lifted in a year and then you just go and try to, you know, bench the amount that you were mm-hmm. doing before. And, you know, you get injured or you can have a storm, you can get sore, but you can also possibly get an injury. It's because your body can't just go zero to a hundred, um, without any prior training stimulus. You have to gradually build it up. So in Carol's case, it would have to depend on how many months she is since the injury, what she's doing now, but it would just be, you know, you go from strength training. Let's say we look at the block of strength training because there's strength mm-hmm. training, there's the aerobic training, there's, plyometrics, there's balance, there's range of motion exercise. There's all these different kind of blocks that you look at for overall rehab. So from a strength training perspective, if she's able to, let's say, do exercises lying on her back where it's not as much load going through her legs because she's doing it in a non-weight bearing position. Once she gets past that, then she goes to, let's say, squats. Then you go from two leg squats to Single leg squat possible, and then from the single leg, you know, you can increase weight, of course, but you can also increase time under tension. You can increase reps. You can increase sets. You can decrease rest, and then once you've you know mastered the strength, the balance, the range of motion is full or within normal limits, then you try to maybe go to some plyometrics, right? Like you jumping is going to be a lot more challenging, at least from how much your body and your bones and your joints can tolerate versus you're just doing a, a bodyweight squat or like a squat with 10, 15 pounds. So then we get into jumping and then you get into straight up and down jumping. Then you get into rotation jumping. You're you're Jesus, trying okay, You're trying it. to basically subject the, the, the w- tissue to different forces. Why do
0: you keep bringing up balance? What is balance showing you? Core strength? Like what is the balance? Why? You've said that a few times. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm realizing the importance of balance more and more over the last few years. But yeah, why are you bringing it up? What is that showing you?
1: So, with any sort of injury, and then even just from a, uh, from a quality of life perspective or injury prevention perspective, when you get hurt, you're not only losing the range of motion, the strength, um, the mobility, you're also, you're not working your proprioceptors, which are basically little receptors in your joints and around your joints that are, that will tell you where your leg is in space or your arm or your head or, or whatever. So when you, it's not just for ankle sprains where you have to work on your balance. You have to work on your balance. If you had surgery, if you had, you know, that's a plateau fracture that your wife had balances plays a huge role in, in all of that. So you have to target the rehab in all different sections. Not to say that balance is more important than strength or range of motion, but okay, they all kind of play of a role. Yeah. But as you get older, that, because of what I was saying before, there's a lot of falls that happen. A lot of people break their hip because they fall and that could be, because they get dizzy or lightheaded. It could be just because they have poor balance. They're in a position where they just weren't able to react to that change in position. Like if you trip over a rug, you know, if you tripped over a rug, you would be able to recover because mm-hmm. you just bring your foot in front and you'd kind of stumble. Whereas if somebody doesn't have that reaction time or that, because balance isn't just standing on one leg. It's being able to react if some somebody nudges you, if you're walking by them and they bump into you you have to have that reaction as well to be able to recover. Otherwise, as you get older, if you don't work on it, then you fall. Because you don't really work, people don't really talk about the balance aspect that no. when you get older. It's just strength, you know, working on your heart. I walking. just had someone, I was
0: at this this uh, a clinic that does like optimal performance with like Olympic athletes and high-performance athletes, and their uh, clients are here, uh, here at Rockstar, and they asked me to come in and just kind of go through all these different machines, and it became obvious to me how important balance was because when they tested my balance, with my eyes open and stuff, one-legged balance, I'm pretty good, but as soon as my eyes were closed, I almost fell over on my left leg. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And I just realized that I need to keep working on my balance. This looks like something that's fading on me. Um, and now I see the importance of it because as you age, you're right. As you trip and stuff, you want to be able to recover from these things pretty quick. And the better, obviously, your strength is important in that kind of case as well. But the better your balance is, you can just catch yourself from falling. Jeez. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then... Even
1: with the balance component, like you have three parts that are responsible for your balance. You have your vision and then you also have your somatosensory system, which is those proprioceptors that are in your joints that tell you where your joint, where your body is in space, but you also have your vestibular system. So your vestibular system is actually your inner ear or components of your inner ear that detect where your head is in space. So if you can try this maybe after the show or just go for a walk and then. Turn your head as you're walking. Try to see if you can stay walking in a straight line. I hate that. Yeah. I
0: hate that. As I've gotten older, I hate that more and more. Yeah. I hate going on roller coasters now because of that. Because I used to love roller coasters. Now it's like, holy shit, I don't think I want to go on these things anymore. Damn.
1: Yeah. So that, like, people who say they have vertigo, right? Like, the, or even people have who... Have
0: you ever had... I've had vertigo. I had an infection in my ear um, on 9-11 when the, the trade center towers were collapsing and they're like, everyone thought the world was being attacked and we were coming to an end. I had extreme vertigo. I mean, I barely got myself home from, from work. I passed out on the floor. I was like drooling out of the side of my mouth for like two days yeah. because the moment I just kind of tried to sit up or stand up, I would, I had no balance whatsoever. So it's, it's the most horrible experience. Have you ever had it? No, no. Okay. But you but know, you obviously stories. know yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. awful. Yeah. So I could not imagine having vertigo on an ongoing basis. Yeah.
1: You see that in some people? I see that in some people. I don't treat those people who have that specifically. There are physios that do vestibular rehab. That's really? What it's called for those. Okay. And that's very, like more of a, not a specialized niche, but it's, you take more training with regards to treating those because they have a completely different rehab or plan or program versus somebody who just has problems Got with it. their balance because of. Weakness, or what,
0: what do, you spe- do you do? You have a specialty that you like to focus on in your own clinic? I know at the hospital, you're probably working on everything that comes your way, but in your clinic, do you like to focus on a certain thing? Um, I've treated a lot of basketball players
1: or like just kind of recreational basketball you're just showing players off just because you're 6'5, yeah, okay, so you're <laughs> or like athletes, athlete. but also yeah. anybody. Not, I don't really have a specialty. Like, I've treated you know people who have concussions, people who have coming off fractures, people who have back pain, shoulder pain, um,
0: neck pain, just kind of, have you done any Achilles yet? Yeah. I I tore my Achilles. That was awful. That was eight months till I could run again. Yeah. And concussions. I've had a couple concussions. What do you do for concussions? So concussions is yeah. Concussions is a very, uh, um,
1: multifaceted, I guess, approach to the rehab because before it was thought that when you have a concussion, you just, you lie in a dark room and you just close your phone like no distract nothing just lie in the dark room but then research has shown that that's probably the worst thing that you can do um you want to just try to get them back to doing what they're doing at a modified level as maybe after the first one or two days after the initial injury but it's about uh, always monitoring the symptoms so not trying to push past um that was the challenging part with
0: the concussion because uh during the first part of a recovery of the concussion you can't really do much before symptoms start, like you feel off balance, you feel groggy, tired, difficult to even use like motors or or speak. Um, so you can only do a little bit and then you'd have to rest. And for someone, you know, who's maybe not patient like myself, it's super frustrating. Um, but that's the protocol now. It's a little bit more advanced than you're saying. It's just to kind of slowly progress day by day instead of trying to do nothing for days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just
1: based on your tolerance and then realizing that it's a brain injury, like it's a type of brain Mm -hmm. injury and it's, you know, needs to be taken seriously and you have to rule out any other sort of red flags that can sometimes mask as concussions. Like if somebody has a bleed or if somebody has something that doesn't really make sense from, maybe they have a fracture because again, a concussion can be, it doesn't always have to be a hit on the head. It can be something that just causes yeah, and that. Now I know that it's that yeah. acceleration, deceleration. Yeah, yeah. You know
0: what? I drive a Tesla now. My second concussion was. Uh, I'm not going to name the person because they're here at Rockstar, and I don't want to. I don't want to name them. But it was from a Tesla that they had in like ludicrous mode or whatever. They got me to go in, and they. I was looking sideways, and they slammed the accelerator three or four times, and I smashed my head back. Um, and it was just that acceleration and that movement. Um, and it gave it gave me concussion symptoms, and I had them for weeks. I couldn't shake it, and it was just my head snapping back um, three or four times in a row like that. It uh, it gave me a freaking concussion, if you can believe it. Goddamn Tesla! Now I drive one. See how the whole world goes backwards? And now I'm like the slowest Tesla driver there is. Um, but yeah, so I can kind of see that. Uh, concussions are tricky things, man. I don't wish that on anyone. I'm glad that the science and the protocols are evolving here a little bit though, because I found that was my first one was like 2011, I believe. And back then you spoke about family doctors. Like back then I went to just a walk-in clinic about two days after this bad car accident that I was in. And when I walked down the hallways of the doctor's office, I was bumping into the wall. Like I was totally off balance. And I said, I sat down and I said, I think I have a concussion. And they said, Um, I I was in a big car accident uh, two days ago, and they asked me a few questions, but then they said, you know what? The sounds of it, I I think you have diabetes. I'm not even joking. This is like a true story. Family doctor. Never went back after this whole series of events with this doctor. And I'm like, no, I, I, I was in a bad car accident. I hit my head. I don't know anything about concussions, but I have symptoms that are like, I'm off balance. I'm feeling kind of groggy. And uh, they said, no, I'm pretty sure you have diabetes, so let's do your blood work. So they did my blood work. I had to wait, I think, three or four days to go back for the results. And they said, oh, you know what? This is really interesting. You don't have diabetes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, I think I have a concussion. And they're like, well, you know what? We should send you for a CT scan. So they sent me for a CT scan at the hospital. I had to wait like another week to get the CT scan. And then I think like five or six days. So another two weeks go by before I get the results. And then they're like, you have a brain tumor. And then the doctor tells me this they're like i'm not allowed to tell you anything else you have to go to a specialist so i get in my car i call carol and i'm like carol she's like how did it go i'm like well i guess i have a brain tumor and carol's like what and i'm like yeah but i have no other information because the doctor's not allowed to tell me anything apparently they weren't even supposed to say that or something and we have to wait for like a neurologist or someone and the first appointment's like two and a half weeks away so for two and a half weeks I was telling Nick, I go, Nick, I have a brain tumor. (laughs) None of us knew if I was going to, it was crazy. Like the thoughts that go through your head. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to live. Like, am I going to live? Like what's happening? Because all the symptoms I had were concussion symptoms. So then I started thinking, I guess I have a brain tumor and the symptoms are all from this tumor. And then I go see this neurologist. um, Sorry, it was an appointment was about two and a half weeks away, but friends of ours Their father runs a bunch of radiology clinics in the GTA and they had moved to California. They make a call and say, hey, can you get Tom an MRI a little sooner? Apparently, as a brain tumor, we're trying to get to the bottom of this. So I I only had to wait one week. So thank God we knew somebody. That's the Canadian healthcare system. You basically need to know people. And uh, they got me a cancellation, I think, at St. Mike's, downtown Toronto. Like it was, you know, same day they called and said, if you can be here in an hour and a half, we can, you know, put you in because there's a cancellation. I went down there. I'll never forget. I was in Burlington at Dundas and Appleby Road, pulled off to the side. He calls me from California, the guy who owns all these clinics. He reviewed the file himself and he goes, Tom, I see what the technician, I guess he called him a technician who did the CT scan, but he'd been talking about, there's a little bit of an anomaly kind of in where some of the blood vessels are and to cover their butts, they said, you know, possible tumor needs further exploration. And I can tell you now that you absolutely don't. This is just a little anomaly on one of the scans. You're totally in the clear. And I was like, you know when you just have this sigh of relief, like I started crying in the car. I was just bawling called care i go kill i'm gonna live i don't have a brain tumor and then i was back to the concussion symptoms because i still had concussion symptoms so i never went back to that doctor i didn't even report to them that i wasn't gonna like die or something um and luckily someone referred me to a hamilton hamilton hospital system and they had like one person that was specializing in concussions and they said are you experiencing this and this and this and i said absolutely yes and they're like you have a concussion and they kind of get me, got me through a protocol that helped me out just with some rest and some speech therapy stuff and just some work. But my, my first concussion experience was bad. It was really bad. So I'm glad to hear what you're going through and describing. There's more protocols and more people seem to be aware of this stuff. Yeah, I went through diabetes and brain tumor to discover a concussion. It was awful. I started thinking what I'm going to tell my kids. Like, you know, I started writing letters to my children about life lessons. I thought that was it anyway, Alex, we got way off target. I was, yeah, I was, it was, it was shocking. Anyway, yeah. I want to transition a little bit to, um, you like, how do you, so this is cool. Now you're, you're a physiotherapist, you have your own clinic and stuff. Somehow you stumbled into us while you're 29 years old. Why, why are you interested in like real estate? Like what, where did that, where's that coming from? Why, like, why that? Cause that's like not related to anything you've discussed so far.
1: Yeah, so I would say why I got into real estate or looking more seriously into real estate is I guess part of what I had growing up was I always thought you just needed to buy a home when you only bought a home when you're married and with kids and, you know, any mortgage is bad. Uh, You know, you, try, you have to pay it off as soon as possible because that's what I would see with my parents, right? Like they would buy a place and then they would try to pay it off as soon as possible. And That was bad. Yeah 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 that was bad exactly just based off of kind of what they thought or what they knew from from the past and i would kind of just go off of that so i never really thought much about real estate when i was in undergrad or even in physio school i think just what triggered it is just since the pandemic like i had a little bit more t- i was still working at the hospital but i wasn't working at another clinic that i was at because i was doing part-time at the hospital part-time at the clinic so i had a little bit more time just to do some research and kind of learn about you know what's happening and is this something that I should really just wait until I get you know married and have kids to buy a place or can I just you know look into getting that now and then uh yeah as I was saying earlier like just with you on uh, before we started this um my girlfriend at the time was living in Toronto and we were looking to buy a place uh, or looking to get a place in London so she was going to move to London we we're going to stay in London for a little bit Um, and we are looking at places to rent and we just couldn't find anything and uh, I just had a moment where I'm like why am I going through all this time trying to find a place to rent again not to say that there's anything wrong with renting every you know there's pros and cons of course to everything but for me um, you know working a lot and being able to save up a little bit of money and living at home um, alongside a lot of other you know (laughs) immigrants who finish school or maybe just other people now with what's going on I said why don't I just you know put a down payment even though a lot of the homes were getting pricier. Uh, I just figured that why not just have something that's yours that I could call mine and then we can always, you know, rent it out or always sell it in in the future. Um, So then we just started, we went, we switched gears and kind of went no more looking at places to rent. Let's just look for places to buy. So it was a pretty tough few months and thank you to my real estate agent, uh, Osmond, for putting up with a lot of the things that uh, yeah, I just had millions of questions. I was so green and it was just <laughs> so much, so much money at the time. And I just, you know, you know, it was just too much over asking you know, all that stuff. You're, you're analyzing. And we ended up getting a place, um, a townhouse in, uh, yeah, in London, like in, in West London. So a decent area, which I know you always say buy places, buy properties in, in good areas. Good areas yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, once I, once I got that, I just got so fascinated with it with just, first of all, everything that's going on in the, in the world, just with regards to, you know, everything's getting more expensive, but your wages are just growing at inflation rates, quote unquote. And just seeing how, and even you alluded to yourself just on previous episodes, like some people don't even really want to get into real estate. They just feel like you have to because otherwise, how, how are you going to, you know, get that advantage or that upper leg? By going into things like, it's a lessons. defense
0: uh, when, when when interest rates are and and I know some people don't like when I say this, but when they're manipulated the way they are, and and to me they are because it's a small group of people in a central bank of this country that decides the cost of money. For Alex, for you, like what you borrow, you're gonna pay whatever interest rates they decide is right. Like today, they just change interest rates again. So we have this manipulated interest rate that's not a true reflection of the free market, it's just dictated by what some people in a central authority decide is right and wrong. So they dictate the cost of money. And when people that have are younger, that sometimes blocks them out of housing because, when interest rates have been kept low for so long like they have, it uh, assets like housing go up in price. The value of the dollar decreases, the asset takes more of these dollars to buy the asset, and it really makes it a barrier to, to get into asset ownership of any kind, houses, businesses, anything, because everything just costs more. And then if somebody like maybe myself now at this age has acquired a little bit of financial success or savings, it puts you into a defensive mode. So instead of keeping my money in the bank and earning an interest rate, when I see the way money is manipulated, I'll take my money and defensively buy real estate with it because it's better than keeping it in the bank where it's going to lose value. And what that does is it blocks real estate from other people who are just getting in the market because there's like people like me forced into the real estate market to protect my purchasing power, right? So the manipulation of the money at many levels really wrecks a system that could be great if we just let banks fail and didn't save them when there's a financial crisis and interest rates were a true reflection of the free market, they would be naturally higher than they've been for the last 15 years. I would keep my money in the bank. I could just keep my money in the bank, save my money, make interest. Now I'm not competing as uh, against other people for properties, making it more expensive for a younger generation to buy these properties. And I'm forming savings in the bank, forming capital, which I might then take. And if I think I can use that capital to earn more than the 7 or 8% that I'm earning in the bank, assuming rates were like real and I was getting a nice hefty savings rate, I would have to go do something productive in the economy that would earn me more than seven or eight percent. So whatever I do in the economy with my money, my capital better be freaking pretty good because I got to earn like 10% return to be better than keeping it in the bank. So it forces entrepreneurs to actually produce good product and services to the society around them. Whereas when it's all manipulated, it's like, well, screw that. I'm not going to save any capital, any money I get, I better tuck it away into something really quick. Otherwise the value is being destroyed. So you don't have capital formation, which is needed for development of new factories, new technology, new hospitals. We need capital formation and we don't have it. I'm going off again, Alex. I I apologize. But it really hurts your generation because you have a bunch of people forced into defensive mode who don't want to lose value, who go buy properties in London that bid up the price. So when the young generation like yourself comes in, it's more expensive for you to buy in. Because you got guys like me in the late 40s going, well, shit, I can't keep my money in the bank. It just loses value because they've kept rates so low for so long. So I better go buy some property. It's all kind of backwards. And now they're trying to, quote, unquote, fix it by raising rates so high that with this much debt in the system, the next year to me looks really weird, you know, because there's a lot of debt in the system. Um, Nick and I were just crunching some numbers and that, if the 10-year treasury is at 3.2 percent right now in the. US it's between 3.2 and 3.5 but the. US debt at 3.2 percent if it was to all roll over and be renewed at that interest rate, it would cost one trillion dollars in interest payments. Right now they're paying 400 billion dollars. so they're paying 400 billion dollars in interest. they're already broke and run annual deficits. but at the new interest rate it's going to cost them just to, to finance the 30 trillion in debt they have today one trillion. So they need to print another $600 billion out of thin air to just pay for the interest on the debt. What's that going to do the values of the the dollar in the economy? It's going to make it worth less. It's going to make asset prices go higher. So we're in this weird time where interest rates are going up, real estate's kind of coming down, but you can kind of see into the future a little bit and say, wait a second, these higher rates are just going to mathematically require more money printing. This is just going to be a nightmare. And I don't understand where this ends, Alex. So I'm hoping your generation can figure it all out, man. You better. You got a lot of stuff to do. You got to fill it. You got to keep us all healthy. and You got to figure out the entire financial system and take care of yourself. And you said you're uh, engaged recently? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was engaged about uh, for the last month, month and a half. Yeah. Cool. Congrats, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So, okay. So you started having this kind of realization that you need to kind of get into something else. Um, You buy the property, you have the townhome. And then now, you know, at your age, starting your own, you know, you're working, but you also have your own clinic. Now this property, you're talking about maybe moving uh, again. So w- what does someone your age think about the world right now? Like, is it, do you feel like you can craft the future here in Canada that you want? I'm giving you, t- I don't know. I didn't prep you for this, man. But what I'm just interested in your your take on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like back in the, in the day when we moved, obviously, and I'm super appreciative, Canada was able to give us that opportunity to come in and you know be able to have an education and all the the benefits that we had growing up. I'm super grateful for, but it it's interesting just over the last couple of years, it's it's really made a lot of people think, think twice about that just with regards to what's been going on and I've never paid attention to the news or politics you've like, been busy was, man basketball
0: in school yeah yeah, exactly <laughs>
1: as I was younger but now like just especially like over the yeah like with COVID and everything I'm just I'm glued I'm listening to like the the, the debates and I'm paying attention to like, like the part, shouting like, and screaming yeah, on like,
0: Twitter and on the on, online
1: <laughs> yeah and it just I'm just like this is crazy like obviously you can get go down that rabbit hole where you're just being mindful too much of you know all the negativity and stuff that you're you're seeing online but yeah it's it's scary uh, It's 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 scary but it's also you know you have to be flexible just as a person in, in terms of trying to find different ways to uh, you know create success whether that be you know relationships or um financial or per- personal but i think just yeah being able to be adaptable and yeah i think just seeing what's ha- been happening over the last couple of years I've never considered living anywhere other than Canada but just hearing stories from other people or even friends like I, I know there's one person or a couple of people actually in like the area that have moved back to Serbia um, really or to yeah. their areas yeah just yeah. because it's again I believe it yeah. yeah like my generation just younger and things that you would never think about like that's such a major jump you know you did school here you spent so many years would that translate over like needing to know the language but a lot of people are just like they a lot of young people. I think a lot of old people too, or just all generations are just looking at whether that be an alternate home somewhere else, where if something happens like what's happened before with the lockdowns, like to have that freedom yeah. to be. Get me a place available. in Florida. <laughs> Get me a home in Florida,
0: so I have some freedom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so geez. it just it
1: definitely yeah makes you think and look for alternatives or just see that things that were maybe not a reality before you're just you know looking at things more. So I mean, I don't know where the future. Holds or or where I'm gonna be in the future, but I'm I mean, it's, we definitely talked about definitely talked about it with uh with my fiance Carmen, um, she's from British Columbia, so the plan would be to move out west over there, and after you've been there, I don't know if you've been there, but
0: I've only been there twice, very of, briefly. Yeah. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I can it's see why like there's a such nice a big part of move because there's a lot of people yeah. in Ontario that make the move, and I mean it is obviously more expensive, um, but at the same time like just being able, the the vibe and the culture and the, um, yeah. And just, just the, the outdoorsy lifestyle and just being active, like it fits highly with kind of our values. And she's a physiotherapist as well. Oh, cool! So we both like, you know, going on hikes, like going swimming, like all that stuff. So it would be really cool. And I've lived in London basically my whole life. So it would be, I thought
0: you were going to say too long. Yeah. (laughs) 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 You've been in London. Yeah. For a while. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So yeah, British Columbia would be a nice place. And and I think the thing is just the fact that you're being aware of, of what's going on in the world. Um, we're all so resilient. Like sometimes I get like all tied up in a knot over some of these financial things that I think are just, you know, breed, a, you know, a financial inequality that shouldn't need to exist. Um, we're all so resilient. Like you're going to have a great life and you're, you know, you're just going to find your way and just being aware of some of these things will help you because, then you'll understand that not all debt is bad debt and having a bit of debt in a debt based money system could be good. So maybe you keep that prop. I think you were mentioning that if you moved, you'll you might try and keep that property in London that you have and turn that into a, a rental property or something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those are the things that your age thinking that way now just will kind of set you on a course. That's going to be amazing. So your future is bright. And are you still playing, uh, basketball at all? Like, do you play in some men's leagues?
1: I was playing, um, uh, but then yeah, with the lockdowns last year, I just decided, like, they were closing down the gyms and all that, and then I just kind of stopped, but I'm going to get back into it this fall. That's the plan. Um, Try to stay active and hopefully not get injured myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Alex, I, I thank you for doing this, man. I don't think you really had to come all the way out here to do this and kind of share some of your story, but uh, I really thank you for it, man, and I just want you to know that, like, you have friends here So, you know, as you guys kind of trailblaze your way through your own lives, if you need some help in any capacity, reach out to us here. We're going to be doing this for a long time. Um, There's a great team here. And if you just need advice on something, you're looking something in British Columbia and you want our opinion on it, just always uh, feel free to reach out and know that you have some friends that will support you here, man. Anything else I should have been asking you that we didn't ask? I wanted to talk about your parents, your physio stuff, some of your real estate thoughts. Anything else that was on your mind that you wanted to be sharing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think just mentioning this, like with regards to what we were saying about the savings, like I think just growing up with that and thinking, you know, you should technically be rewarded with, if you're going to leave money in a savings account, you should earn something. But you look at some of these accounts that are earning like 0.0015%. And, you know, you see that from my parents, like, you know, save money, but it's like you have to try to look outwards into these different streams and real estate. And then even, you know, Bitcoin and getting into that is, been huge like just from a learning perspective and seeing that there's more to life than just working for that you know paycheck that working that eight to four and i think you said that
0: in the first communication that like that that was something you stood out that you had heard on one of our podcasts that when i think when i was going to take a, a you know vacation i was always irritated by the fact that like if i left for too long from the corporate world i always felt like i was going to lose my accounts if you were in sales and you know something would be taken away almost like a threat like you better not be on vacation for too long otherwise Your job security is at risk. And I always just thought, like, what kind of life is this? Like, this doesn't feel like the way we should be living. Like, we're always just under attack and threat and you work hard to get a bit of vacation. And maybe I'm too much of an idealist, but I just feel like that type of setup doesn't extract the best of humanity because everybody's running around slightly scared that they're going to lose their job, slightly scared that they don't have enough money to retire. It's kind of shitty, and a lot of it stems from our problems with money it's like the money system like one of the simplest ways i break it out to people is i'm like you realize our money system is a debt-based money system so in its simplest form and some of the technical technicalities are going to be glossed over in this description but in its simplest form if the first dollar in canada came to in existence as a form of debt because we're a debt-based money system so that you know the treasury borrows money in the country and you know we get issued new dollars from the bank of Canada and I'm generalizing here for anyone who gets really technical, but the the dollars that come into an existence have to be paid back with interest because we're a debt based money system. So the very first dollar that came into an existence in that type of economy in Canada had to be paid back with interest. Well, if the first dollar that came into an existence had to be paid back with interest, where does the money come from to pay that interest? Because if only one dollar was created, the very first dollar that was created had to be paid. It was borrowed. It's debt. It was borrowed into existence. That's the way our money system works. And it had to be paid back with interest. Where does the money come from to pay the interest? Well, the only way to get enough money to pay the interest is to borrow more dollars into existence. So we live in a system that requires more and more borrowing. Otherwise, there's not enough money to pay for the system. And so that we just live in an economy that more and more debt must be created like this isn't an option. So if more and more debt isn't created, there's literally not enough dollars to pay all the debt off. So we live in a world where if the debt doesn't expand, the amount of dollars in the system doesn't expand, it all collapses which means the value of our dollars are programmatically set to lose value. There must be more dollars printed. It can't go the other way. Deflation, the opposite of inflation, deflation, reducing the money supply, doesn't work because the debt won't have enough dollars to pay off the debt. So they must increase the money supply at all costs. That's why when I see interest rates going up like today, and everybody's freaking out about real estate prices and stuff. I'm like, well, if you just have a little bit of patience, the money's going to come into the system. Because if it doesn't come into the system, the whole system collapses. And even if that happens in that environment, you want to own hard assets. Because you know, where, you know where your parents were born, when that war broke out there, um, the people who had any assets ultimately kind of made it through it. So like if you had some pigs or some cows, and there was like hyperinflation, the currency went to shit, well, you still had the pigs and cows. If you were lucky enough to maybe have a, a property on the coast or something that you rented out to vacationers, and the currency went to crap, and your mortgages were now, now paid in Swiss francs instead of the, I guess it would be the dinar back then, you still had the rental property. So the currency goes up in smoke. The price of your real estate might fluctuate greatly in dinars. It was Yugoslavian dinars back then. But if it, if that all went to shit, you still had the rental property. So in a debt based money system, to me, your future financial success is highly dictated or correlated with the quality of assets that you own and the prices of them might fluctuate wildly, but don't even worry about it. As long as you can carry the debt load confidently. So your rental property, as long as you're covering it, you're not buying stupid stuff with debt and you have income to cover the debt, take it on because if that helps you acquire good assets. Ultimately, that's going to make you win the day. Whereas just saving like you're saying or just having an income and no assets, when everything goes up into smoke programmatically because the, the dollar must lose value over time, you're left with nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm just ranting again, Alex, and it's, it's confusing concepts. Like it's kind of hard to grasp some of the stuff. I think when I first started reading about it, I'm like, what is going on? This all seems backwards to me. But for you, I think you're right. You're bringing up Bitcoin. It's like a lot of people now are, you know, if they got into Bitcoin at the high and now it's come down in price, they're like, oh, what the hell is this? But in my mind, it's like, understand what you own. Understand your properties and why you own them. Understand Bitcoin and what it is and what's unique about it. And when you have a really strong conviction about why you own certain things, the price uh, is, 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 it doesn't bug you as much, you know? Might be easy for me to say I'm like older guy now. I have multiple streams of income and stuff. So things change, but I don't know. Anyway, we'll stop. I'm, I'm ranting, but I'm glad you're into this stuff, Alex. It's important, man. So it's cool. Keep going down this rabbit hole, especially the Bitcoin one. I think that's the one when you go down, it, you're like, holy smokes, the hard money. What is this? How does this work? Nobody can confiscate it. It's difficult to censor. I can, you know, have, I can move it around globally. What is this thing? It's a pretty deep rabbit hole gets you into a lot of stuff you know D- is that um have you kept reading on that topic yeah, yeah yeah actually i
1: read the bitcoin standard oh awesome i need to read it one more time but i know it's just yeah. really interesting just again seeing the history of money and just all of your perceptions just on money and growing up it's, it's crazy i feel like financial literacy needs to be something that's taught at the high school level because everybody's gonna have to deal with money eventually and the th- i wish that i was you know everybody hindsight is 2020 20, but I wish I had that that thought but it was just when you're coming out of school you're like get a good job get a good paying job that has benefits and is consistent hours and stuff like that and then you start working and you think that all that effort and that time that you put into getting your degree and, and working a job I mean fortunately for physio there is a lot of demand just because of the aging population and you, you have demographics of, like, on pick, your side yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're writing kind of, a
0: good trend you're writing a good trend you could kind of pick and choose
1: but at the same time like even now, like if you look at how much, let's say, average salary for a physiotherapist is now versus what it was ten years ago. I mean, if it's going up a couple percent with inflation, but everything's going up much more than that, then you need to look at alternative ways of of diversifying. And that just kind of motiv- motivated me to ever since I got the property to, I was I was in uh the live class online, and I think that's just. I went down that rob, rabbit hole very, very fast. I just started researching everything just on just everything that you can learn about real estate. Obviously, there's so much that I don't know, but this stream was never even a possibility if I just either lived at home for the next little bit or if I was just renting because I don't, I don't care. But now you can just see all the benefits and that's also what kind of motivated me to open up my own clinic um, just in terms of from a tax perspective, how many benefits there are there and also, there's some politics as well in, in, in healthcare. And, and I was working you know, for a clinic that I wasn't really a big fan of. And that kind of motivated me to go run my own thing because I wanted to treat how I wanted to treat. I didn't want there to be any, polit- or I wanted my own politics. Like I could see however many I wanted to see. I didn't want it base it based off of what that clinic's policy was and I, you know, I wanted... Because their time,
0: I guess they were forcing you to... Like they
1: just wanted you to see a certain number of people per hour, whereas I'd be running late for patients because I wanted to spend more time with them or their needs demanded more than that, you know, 20-minute frame. I wanted 40, 45 minutes and obviously I was running late so that wasn't good for the next, next patient. But at the same time, like I didn't feel like I was giving them everything I could in that certain time period, whereas now when I have my own clinic, like I can just... We're usually running over time, but it's okay because I'm not required to see ten to twenty people a day. I just see a couple of people. I you know give them as good quality care as I can, and You're there's happy. a lot of benefits from that. If and
0: anyone's in the London area, how would they find you? What's the best? Do you have an email URL? What is there something you can hand out?
1: Yeah, so I have um I have Instagram account. It's yeah. uh, Alex underscore physio. A l e k s. Underscore uh, physio p h y and then I have a booking website, so I don't have like a actual, but just a booking website where just to book time yeah. with you.
0: Yeah, so that's is that linked from the bio on Instagram or no? No, it's not. What, that's the Al- booking website? That's
1: Alex Physio.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, all one word. Dot Jane App. J a n e a p p. Dot com. Yeah, cool. And then I have a YouTube account too. That's uh, Alex Physio just all or not one word but just Alex space uh, physio so i'm trying to grow yeah just grow awesome. that to help with yeah, the business cool.
0: and, and cool. go from there yeah the future is bright with uh with people like you with the mindset that you have man that's kind of cool to hear um a favorite nba team oh ra- it's not the raptors <laughs>
1: Whoa. Honestly, I was one, I was one of those where it's where LeBron James goes because he's my favorite player. But no wait, now Really? It's kinda, I don't yeah, know. I feel yeah, like ever LeBron, since he yeah.
0: left Cleveland the first time, it was kind of irked me a little bit. You were probably too young to maybe even remember that, but uh, LeBron's your guy. Yeah, LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know he's yeah. amazing, but yeah. LeBron. Yeah. Wow.
1: I don't really have. I would probably just say the Raptors, just because obviously it's it's the hometown. But I like the Lakers, and I like. The Denver as well because they got uh, Nikola Jokic. He's he's oh, like yeah, the, yeah, and he's turning into a basically a superstar. Yeah, I guess yeah.
0: he's already basically superstar status. MVP or no? No, I feel like he was in the running. I forget. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was MVP last year. Was he last year? Yeah. Th- he's kind of freaky because so. the way yeah. he moves, like, I'm like, is this guy really like an athlete or not? But I mean, because he's, he's so big, like, he kind of moves up, but the way he plays, man, and the way he, he passes the ball out, like, this guy's incredible very like European unselfish totally. like yeah. comes yeah. from a farm town yeah. in
1: Serbia so yeah. he just has that yeah. that big boy yeah he really strength. does man yeah
0: Alex thank you so much for doing this I really appreciate it I'm sure our paths will continue to cross paths and uh, yeah thanks man thank you
1: no problem thanks for having me I appreciate
0: it hey everyone hopefully you enjoyed that episode as much as I did with Alex if you are trying to track him down you can find him on Instagram his handle is alex a l e k s underscore physio that's a l e k s underscore physio alex physio and if you are trying to track down some real estate information you can get access to our reports our videos our books podcast episodes like this all at rockstarinnercircle.com that's www.rockstarinnercircle.com that's it for this episode until next time your life your terms